Hello, fellow systems engineers, and welcome back to a new podcast episode. We have a guest for the topic today, which is about ontologies and doll. And our guest today is Fabian Neuhaus. Fabian, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, thank you very much for inviting me. My name is Fabian Neuhaus. I work usually at the University in Magdeburg in the computer science department and I'm currently located in the wonderful city of Bozen, Bolzano, in the Italian Alps, uh, where I am on a research project working with colleagues here in Italy. Great. So, and what exactly do you do at the university? So at Magdeburg or now in Bozen? Well, I mean, I have the mixed pleasure of teaching um, computer uh, logic and uh, theoretical computer science, but uh, my research areas are mostly in ontology, all kinds of topics related to ontologies. I And, of course, also uh, I was part of the group who developed DOL. I guess that's also relevant uh, for you inviting me. Yes. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, fan fa fun fact uh, aside is that we are, we three are all Germans, but we never met in Germany, only in the United States at the OMG meetings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so now we'll listen to three Germans trying to speak English for yeah. half an hour. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, good. <laughs> our listeners are used to it. So. <laughs> Like this laughing out loud shows also. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you are at a computer science department, but you yes. are not a computer scientist, right? You're a philosopher. No, huh? indeed, yes, I'm a uh, philosopher uh, by training. I have a PhD in philosophy, um, and uh, slowly migrated. I, mean, I even worked as a postdoc in a philosophy department in Buffalo for a while. And then slowly migrated uh, first uh, to NIST, which uh, people might know as a standardization organization of the US, and then came back to work here in Magdeburg. And um, yeah, so this is why I have, I mean, ontologies are a very interdisciplinary area, uh, not only because the ontologies themselves are typical about something else than computer science, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but also because it uh, draws a lot from logic, from philosophy, um, well, and from other areas as well, even in linguistics. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, you know, by people like me who don't really originally come from computer science uh, often uh, migrate there. And otherwise, in the other direction, a lot of ontologists who are really engineers or computer scientists are very well versed in uh, philosophy. So mm -hmm. uh, a very interesting group of people who work in this area. Yeah, hopefully we'll, we are coming back to this philosophic background of ontologies uh, in, in some minutes. But um, a simple question to you. Uh, what are ontologies about for somebody uh, to explain it for somebody who never heard this term? Well, so there's an academic answer. An ontology is uh, a shared specification of some conceptualization. And uh, that's an example for a definition that doesn't help anybody because if you don't know what an ontology is, you, you know, for sure don't know what the conceptual Leo, thing is because aus, nobody come. knows that really. 
And uh, uh, so if I tr have to explain what an ontology is, I usually start off this, with a glossary and say, well, think of a glossary. And now you kind of rip the glossary in part uh, in different you know, different pieces and because you reorganize it completely. Um, so the first thing is you, you know, a glossary typically has um, different, uh, is focused on terms and ontologies are not so much focused on terms, but more on the concepts or classes that are uh, important. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in, in English, for example, you have different words for suites. Right, and uh, well, in the UK, I think it would be they would be called sweets. In the in the US, it would be called candy, and and in Australian Australian English, it would be called lollies. And then the glossary, you might get different entries for each of them. So it's alphabetically ordered, so the glossary typically is alphabetically ordered. So you will find S under S, you will find sweets, and under L, you find lollies, and maybe they're cross references, and then on. In our ontology, that's kind of the, the labels aren't that important, but the concepts are important. So there will be one entry and we'll say, maybe it will don't even have a word for it, but mm -hmm. rather a number and say, this concept is called in Australia, uh, lollies, and in um, UK it's called sweets, et cetera, et cetera. In German it's called Süßigkeiten, and in French is, you know, okay, whatever so it's called that, in French, right? That so means... It's it's really the, the the concept in the center, not so much the word. Okay, yeah? and uh, can can you also say that uh, the relationship between those terms uh, are a part of an ontology? Definitely, yeah. So the 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 first thing, if you would want to go from a glossary, is kind of focus more on the concepts and disambiguate the 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 words and um, the next thing is you basically order the concepts hierarchically so you get a taxonomy that would be in my opinion that still would be an ontology but uh, that would be the next step so that you mm -hmm. you know uh, for example you would have a link between the concepts of um, or the class of suites to the class of confectionery because confectionery is the super class of uh, suite mm -hmm. right and uh, in different kinds of And you would have different subclasses of suites. So basically, instead of having it ordered alphabetically, you get a, in this particular case, it would be a graph, maybe a tree structure, ideally a tree structure, but most likely a graph of um, um, of concepts. And that's, that would be, so that would be the a taxonomy. And some people already would say taxonomy is kind of an ontology. I'm, you know, well, it's a borderline case. <laughs> mm -hmm. And... Um, Then you would uh, maybe add some additional relationships, like um, you could talk about what are the ingredients, right? So you would have not just, uh, you would have links between concepts, like, you know, the main ingredients of the sweet is sugar. Um, you, for other things, you would have parted relations. So a layer cake has different, or, or Belgian praline has, uh, has a filling, mm -hmm. right? Um, so additional information. And mm -hmm. all of these things, I should say, are not expressed just by, you know, arrows on a piece of paper, but in some logical language. So that would be distinguishing uh, characteristic from, uh, let's say, UML diagrams. 
you know, most of what I just said, you could do in a human class diagram. But um, mm. the, the language which you're using here is, uh, is going to be underpinned by some logic. The reason for that is that the, the ontology, so just coming to what's the purpose of it, you want to have interoperability um, between not only humans and humans, but also between humans and machines and machines and machines. So you want to mm. capture the semantics um, in a machine interpretable way. So that is where I would say the a real ontology starts. So everything, you know, if you just think of the start with the glossary, so basically you add the, you order it differently, you look at, look at the um, concepts, you put in additional relationships, and then you do all of that in a language which is a logical language. And if you have mm. done that, you have an ontology. Okay. So what's, what's the difference between a concept and a term? Is, is there a difference? So maybe yeah. you said that, that um, uh, sweets and candy is, is not, it's not a concept. It's, these are terms in a glossary, for example, and now they're grouped in a, in a concept. So, but where's the difference between concept and term? Well, if you have two sentences, or let's say um, we, we take Bread roll, bread roll, and Brötchen. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the English speakers, Brötchen is one translation of bread roll in German. So uh, each of them are words in, in this case, different languages, but they express and shared something with, which is a shared concept, right? That's the. Mm -hmm. It's basically that what when you go from one sentence, uh, one, mm -hmm. if you went translate. Well, you know, the justification why you choose that translation and you wouldn't say, you know, something completely different is because you say, well, this one means the same in English as it means in German. So you could, maybe I shouldn't use the word concept. I could have just said meaning. The problem is okay. meaning is even more vague um, or uh, problematic in many, multifaceted than mm -hmm. concept. I mean, mm -hmm. concept is hard to understand. Meaning is even harder to uh, to to get hold of. Okay. We could, we could have a whole, I mean, a whole podcast on what is the <laughs> meaning uh, of the of the sentence. It's a it's a very fascinating and really multifaceted topic. Absolutely. So this is often, and that's probably also, you know, sometimes people say ontologies are used to capture the meaning um, of the terms. Mm -hmm. um, and that's true and false at the same time, because uh, it really depends on what you mean by meaning. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. So let's assume we have an ontology. What can yes. I do with it? Well, <laughs> depends. it depends really on the ontology you have. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's look at a particular example. So the most successful ontology out there in terms of um, users, I think, and also of influence is the gene ontology. Now, the gene ontology from a logician's point of view, you know, which I'm more or less, is a rather boring ontology because it doesn't have nice axioms, it's not very strongly axiomatized compared to other ontologies. But it's, it is successful because um, it's, it's uh, was solving a really big problem for the biologists and it's still solving the problem um, that they faced when they gen 
produce a lot of data. So the, the problem that, I mean, in the 90s, when, um, when the, they started to develop it, they had this huge amount of genomic data, right? And every, mm -hmm. so you, you could uh, look at the genome of mice and of various plants and of course of humans and you and you could uh, find out that you know this genome is, is able to express this kind of protein and that's protein plays in these roles in these kinds of processes and they were generating tons of I mean tons of papers and nobody could read these papers anymore I mean there was just too much and if you were an expert in mouse stuff you wouldn't be able to be to link it to the uh, to the stuff which is done on plants but the same mm -hmm. genes are involved in some sense of the, the same and of course and ultimately we're interested in humans because it's all medically relevant so in order to organize the knowledge they uh, developed the gene ontology which is a controlled vocabulary which you can use to annotate um, the literature and annotate the data uh, from, from the various. And that allowed them, uh, first of all, to just get hold of the literature. So we. Fabian, you're breaking up a little bit. easier to find relevant info. But there was, there was just a. Oh, sorry. But I can't do anything about it. Yeah, but now you're back. Um, <laughs> you're back. Okay. So the and but the the important thing it was for them that they could then automatically integrate the various uh, uh, databases they had about um, results and um, without I mean each database of is you know was individually owned of whoever created it and of course everybody has their own database schema fitting to their computer system and their environment but um, the, onto the ontologies allowed them to basically integrate that data without having to physically change the information, you know, the way their database worked. That was, that was the next, you know, that was the immediate payoff. And now they have tools which basically just automatically, you know, you, you for example, analyze um, what kinds of proteins are available in some, you know, snippets of tissue, and it will automatically use that information about what is there to link it to the processes, to biological processes, which are mentioned in the ontology, and then will automatically tell you, okay, what is going on here? And this, so you, you it's basically now used for knowledge generation. And that's just one, one of many use mm -hmm. cases of it. So it's really making data interoperable. It's one of the main now you mentioned the example of, of genes. Uh, I remember I I started to read a book from Barry Smith about BFOs, and I think it was the example. Is it possible, or do I mix up things? Um, could be. I mean, Barry, I used to work for Barry, and I used to work for oh, Barry yeah. when he uh, started the OBO. Well, I mean, he was one of the many founders. I mean, he's uh, he was the ontology expert. Um, so it would be make absolute sense that he uses that example as well. Okay. I think ontologies are also used in the context of semantics web, right? So I think that was the first time I heard of ontologies. Yeah. So the semantic web is an interesting case for when 
you have something in mind and the idea fails, but the results are still useful. Um, so the semantic web, the, the idea uh, was created, the, the original idea was before Google, and we mm -hmm. didn't find anything on the internet. So the idea was basically you would uh, put metadata on your on your website, and then, which is represented this is web ontology language, OWL, and mm -hmm. then uh, clever agents would use automatic reasoning in order to decide whether what you're currently looking at uh, yeah, whether, or if you look for something that a particular website um, would be good for you, you know, whether it has the answer. Um, that original vision, I think, is safe to say failed. I mean, uh, Google just solved that problem using completely different technologies. Okay. But um, uh, but the uh, first of all, the, the technology was, was developed there, like all the web ontology language, also RDF and other things were mm -hmm. suddenly um, used very useful so partially used in the biology world but also linked open data was then the next development when we said okay it's not so much about the semantic web in the sense original sense but more uh, linking um linking data sets so um mm -hmm. yeah and in that case the in this semantic web is um, you have rdf which is uh, represent just a way of representing the data in forms of triples and mm -hmm. um Typically, what is it, the IRIs that are used in these triples come are coming from the controlled vocabulary. That's then an ontology. But the yeah. ontologies that you see in that domain, and that's why I said, you know, what you can do with an ontology kind of depends what how the ontology looks like. The ontologies that you, that are used in a semantic web are typically looking quite differently from the mm -hmm. ones in biology. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe um, another question before we come to Doll. <clears throat> so we mentioned in the beginning that um, ontologies have a philosophic background. And maybe you can give us uh, in some sentences uh, a hint what, what the origins or what the roots of, of ontologies are and why are they in, to fight in philosophy? Well... Philosophers were always interested in the question, what is, it, what is there? And I mean, the natural philosophy, uh, the inheritance of that natural philosophy are now sitting in the physics department, still wondering what is there, and, you know, talking about string theory. And, uh, and um, the, of course, philosophers in the Greek world, like Aristotle, didn't really do string theory, uh, but, uh, you know, had similar questions, and they came up with categorizations of uh of uh, you know what is there and um, these categories um, these the idea of categorizing and thinking systematically what categories of things there are is um, is something which helps you to organize the ontology so you know in, that's typically when I teach my students uh, ontology I start with them telling them the technology like here's our now. That's like giving somebody, you know, chessboard, and say telling them, yeah, this is how the pieces move. That doesn't mean that you know really how to play chess. You know, now you have just you need to fill fill the ontology with content, and the question is always, where do I start? You know, where, how do I um, how do I organize the content in the ontology? It's just and uh, ontology. The, 
so many people use upper level ontologies, so-called upper level ontologies, which give you kind of the structure which you can reuse, like the basic formal ontology you, you mentioned earlier from Barry Smith. And the, um, the, the, this, uh, these upper level ontologies are typically inspired from philosophy. So mm -hmm. there is, I mean, I'm um, also, mm, I have the lofty title of vice president of the International Association of uh, for Ontology and, and its Applications. And uh, we are, are regularly um, organizing a conference this year again, by the way, um, where for applied ontology and basically a third of the people or the papers that are submitted there are usually more philosophical and then other people looking more at the, you know, how do you apply this then for more you know, specific topics. So that's really an interesting thing where the, the more philosophical domain can interact with, uh, you know, people who have concrete problems that they want to solve. <laughs> Okay. Um, a few days ago, I I found uh, a website about the IOF, the Industrial Ontologies Foundry. Do you know that one? Um, it looks I very interesting. But, but I know of it, but I have not been involved. I know people who are involved in it, but sorry, not. Ah, okay. I know Barry but Smith it's... is involved. Michael Gruninger is involved. Uh, Okay, People so it's, it's really a serious thing, <laughs> right? I think so. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure as well. I, it looks very interesting, but I thought, oh. <laughs> well, uh, the, just the, the website. People who are involved, the people who are involved are definitely uh, very serious people. Yeah. Okay, very good. <laughs> I know what they're doing. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, there's also a, a subgroup uh, about, uh, systems engineering. So that's uh, yeah, sounds very interesting. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe we switch over to Doll. And uh, from my point of view, I can use Doll when Tim thought about a concept and I th thought about a concept, and they have some links and we want to bring it together. Is this correct? Can I use Doll for this? Well, and if you just talk about the co individual concepts, I would just, that, that just would typically that means you you want to build an ontology together and then you don't need doll then you build just an ontology together mm -hmm. um now doll is a language a meta kind of meta language which is designed to be help people to reuse ontologies not to build individual ontologies but you see some the problem with ontologies or one problem with ontologies is that they are typically rather expensive to build because it requires domain expertise they are usually monolithic and um, that makes it hard to reuse for them to be reused because they're these monolithic blobs and doll is um, uh, was intended to be used to structure your ontologies to modify existing ontologies so that you can adapt them for your purposes and then use building existing building blocks and melt them together to, to uh, bigger ontologies and um, also define 
constraints on the interaction between different modules so that when somebody changes one module, you can have checks whether this change, uh, you know, interacts with the rest of the modules in a way that is not intended. So that's, that's, um, that's one aspect. The other aspect is that um, we are, have the situation that many more languages are used in reality in, in the world than just OWL or one single language. And they have good, they're good reasons for using different languages. And Doll also wanted to tackle that, basically enable people to develop heterogeneous ontologies and um, yeah, models and specifications. That's in the title, right? So the um, mm -hmm. so it's not uh, the if you think of something like um, I'm not sure whether you're aware of the time and date vocabulary. It's an mm -hmm. OMG standard. Yeah, yeah, yes. that is. They also had that idea that we use basically different languages. Um, mm -hmm. um, I, I definitely OWL and Common Logic, UML cl and class diagrams, but also SPVR. The problem there is if you just have these languages next to each other, some modules in different languages next to to each other, you don't um, you don't know whether they fit. If somebody mm -hmm. changes something in one module and somebody changes something in the other module, there is no formal connections between those. I mean, even you even ca can have that problem within different UML diagram types. You know, mm -hmm. if you have mm -hmm. a complex model using different diagram types, the, the connections between these diagrams is relatively loose. Mm -hmm. And um, so the one other problem adults designed to tackle is using this several languages at the same time, modules in different languages. In the, in the context of SysML, we currently have the challenge. Now we, we have SysML version one, and now we work on SysML version version two. So mm -hmm. theoretically, we could use DOL um, to define a mapping between SysML v1 and SysML v2, or to validate that the SysML v1 concepts are also in SysML v2. No, because DOL no? SysML is not a DOL compliant language. So DOL is, an, is working for ontology languages or modeling languages which have a uh, formal semantics because mm -hmm. it's ultimately about the meaning of things. The, these constraints that you check, well, you they need to be clearly and formally mathematically defined. Yeah. And that you do with the and that you only have with a um, if you have a formal semantics. So mm -hmm. I know that there are I mean there are parts of UML which for which you have that. It's not part of the official UML standard, but there's FUML and um, the DOL standard itself has uh, mm -hmm. some uh, mapping from UML to um, common logic, which Provides the formal semantics, but as far as I know, nobody ever has uh, tried to do that for the whole of SysML. So, mm -hmm. in order to do this formal mapping, you, you know, never in computer science, nobody, you know, you, you don't get anything for free. You, mm -hmm. if you want to have, if you ever want to have a machine check whether what you did is nonsense, you need to form, formally declare what is, you know, the meaning or semantics of your language. If you mm -hmm. don't have that. You can't check. You can't use these logical tools to check it. So, right. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
maybe we have to clarify what DOL stands for. I guess some of our listeners are not aware what OMG oh, DOL is. The Distributed Ontology Modeling and Specification Language. So arguably the acronym should be more complex, but you know, it's hard mm -hmm. to pronounce uh, pronounce it if you put all the other <laughs> letters in there. So right. it's not with DOL. And it's an OMG specification, right? It's an OMG, yes. It uh, has been, it's an official OMG specification since 2018. And is it also planned uh, that it will be an ISO specification? So some OMG specifications are uh, also ISO, no, not ISO specifications, but ISO standards? Well, let's, let's put it this way. We started out trying to do the you know, standardize the content of the dollar standard in ISO. And we were so frustrated with the ISO process that we went to OMG. So mm -hmm. I, I myself don't feel the uh, inclination to go back to ISO. It's just, uh, you know, life is yeah, but, there, but there's a relationship between OMG and ISO. No? So many OMG specifications are ISO standards. And uh, that process is much easier uh, than to start from the scratch at ISO. So UML is an ISO standard, SysML is an ISO standard. So maybe yeah. DOL could also be an ISO standard. If somebody wants to do it, <laughs> fine. But, <laughs> I, I uh, not, I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's really not my highest priority, really. <laughs> because I mean, yeah. ultimately, ultimately, um, you know, I'm an academic, so I'm I'm kind of in the in the business of creating new ideas, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, working on the same old ideas is is, is not very appealing to me. So, um, and uh, we're also um, non-academics organizations involved in the doll specification with, with business interests in the doll standard sure. or i mean a pure that's academic a, no that's uh, i mean the detection requirement in order to become a standard is uh, omg that you have support of of uh, industry um i mean one uh, i mean i wouldn't want to start to list them because i forget surely forget somebody and then there will be insulted <laughs> obviously mentioned in the omg standard itself who supported it uh but uh you know for example i to just name one person because she was particular helper as uh, lisa campbell um mm -hmm. the uh you know uh, without this standard would have never happened without her she, she was extremely supportive and uh, helped us and uh, she's of course uh has her own company mm -hmm. uh, uh, plans to use both so they plan to use DOL or do they already have a DOL tool? No, I think the only DOL tool, I mean, the, yeah, the only DOL tool which tries to capture the whole standard is something we developed in Magdeburg, but uh, that's an academic tool. That's not, um, you know, it's not uh, something you would give out for, into an industry. So we are... Um, hoping that uh, that industry will adopt uh, DOL, or at least parts of DOL. I mean, the whole standard is really a little bit challenging, I think. I have to admit, um, it, you know, things grow. Mm -hmm. 
but um, any for you know, the functionalities which um, allow you basically to to support modular development of ontologies, I think is actually um, something which which uh, is not that complicated to implement. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe we can switch to a question which again regards systems engineering because we are the MBSE podcast and uh, we are very aware of that you are not a systems engineer. But yes. um, in, in the field of systems engineering, you hear the term ontologies very often. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, what I would like to discuss with both of you is um, could be ontologies helpful for systems engineering, for example, to bring together the concept of different engineering domains or to bring together the concepts of different processes in, in the systems engineering process? So could could that be a way to use ontologies? Well, to me, um, so I'm working among other things with uh, people who are, to, uh, well, I'm working with the open energy modeling community. There's open energy ontology. Um, so this is probably closer to your community than uh, maybe the biologists uh, they are. You know, like it says in the title, they are interested in models of energy systems, usually on the level of, you know, let's say cities or countries, uh, not as much individual plants. And um, whenever you have five of them in a room, I don't even need five, we have three in the room, and uh, they try to communicate with each other, they use different terminology. I mean, it's, it's just, that's that's a fact of life in all disciplines. I mean, I've worked with many different, different disciplines, just that's, you know, ontologies are always, you're always working with some other domain experts. And um, as soon as um, they, I mean, one important thing they, they uh, you know, the most basic thing they have to do is create a scenario when they're doing the modeling and uh, you know, use the scenario as input for the model. Now you would think that they would know what the scenario is. They could, you know, it took them forever to come up with the definition of the scenario, um, which uh, which uh, half satisfies most of them, uh, and it's kind of important for them because one of the things is that they want to re compare the results of what they are simulating. So you know the idea of what is a scenario, what's part of the scenario, what is parameters, what, how do parameters relate to the scenario, all of that needs to be controlled if you have a controlled environment to exchange information about the results of your models. Now, I'm not sure, you know, uh, I, I assume that is a, a problem that will resonate with any um, any engineering problem. If you have a complex product, different people model different aspects of it. Different people worry about different aspects, right? Some mm -hmm. people design it. Some people have to uh, think it. about the components, mm -hmm. get, get the components. Others have to assemble it. All of that leads to different perspective on the same product. And all of these people have different, have an impart, uh, incomplete view of the product and of the whole process. And they have to exchange information and uh, use different terminologies. So you always have that, you know, ontologies are basically that, that's the 
the main purpose of ontology is trying to get interoperability between people and their computer system. Mm -hmm. But I think that it was a uh, sorry, Tim. Uh, but I think that yeah. was a very a very good example um, uh, with a project of an interdisciplinary project with different engineers, because it's exactly not sufficient to just create a glossary. Yeah. yeah. But I ask myself, how how really can an ontology help then? So, for example, if I look at the roadmap of this industrial ontology foundry uh, and the systems engineering working group, they, uh, according to the roadmap, they would like to pick uh, ISO standards like 15288, that's a systems engineering ISO standard, and uh, 42010, for example, and create an, a systems engineering ontology. And so if I have a, a systems engineering term like uh, system architecture, for example, I can look in the in the ISO standard and find a definition which is very well not very helpful. I would say it says a system architecture are fundamental concepts of a system, which sounds true but not helpful. So what what really is it? And now I can look in the systems engineering ontology and then I get a clear answer. Or I, I, I don't right. know how it should work. <laughs> But if it was developed by a clever ontologists, they would have realized that that isn't a helpful uh, definition and hopefully um, put in a better definition. But I mean, mm -hmm. that's, you know, obviously, you know, that, that you don't need to, you know, you could also improve the quality of the glossary. You don't need an ontology mm -hmm. for just adding a better definition. Not the, the, um, so one reason why Glossaries often don't work, especially if you don't, you aren't in a hierarchical situation, but you have different people who are not, you can't tell people what to do, uh, is that people don't like to give up their terminology. So an ontology mm -hmm. by just not working, I mean, um, let's say there's a, people use different terms for the same thing. Of course, in an mm -hmm. ideal world, you could just tell everybody, use the same word, and then you will understand each other, right? But mm -hmm. that's not going to happen. I mean, it's just people like their terminologies and they are not, you know, unless you force them, uh, you're not, and usually you don't have the authority to do so, they will just use the terminology you want. Since an ontology will basically have an, usually an alphanumeric identifier for the concept and then different labels, you can have in the, in the GUI, you choose the labels which are suitable for for the person who's you know working with the GUI, and uh, you know they, they you can display one set of labels to one group and another set of labels to other group, and everybody is happy. They don't complain because they see the terminology they're used to, and they're still working together. So this is purely on the human to human level, but mm -hmm. more importantly, you usually have data associated with it, right? With mm -hmm. the with the things so you're using the you will use the control vocabulary in different ways either to annotate just the, the relational database or maybe you even have an, uh, a graph database or you have a, a rdf triple store and represent the, in that case the if it was a triple store then the basically the, the uh, ontology terms are directly in the data um, so you by just using these um, uh, by using the uh, ontology can easier integrate the 
um, various data sets without yeah. you know loss mm -hmm. or, or without any problems. But it's the, very hard to do that in an audio format. It's much easier to show. <laughs> <laughs> and on the on the human to human level, if I would like to use an ontology, um, mm -hmm. it's typically by using a tool, no? and and I look in the tool to to read an ontology. So it's it's not another PDF to to find well, I mean, something defined or. Typically, your you your end user won't I mean won't see the ontology. I mean, unless you, I can't think of many reasons why you want somebody to see the ontology. Um, it's more that it's working in the background. Um, mm -hmm. So, the let's let's say let me give a completely different use case. Let's say mm -hmm. you want us to so, use an ontology to support semantic search. So somebody uses, uh, and let's say you have a lot of photos annotated with, with terms on ontology. You're looking, you're, the thing you're looking for is cute dogs, mm -hmm. right? Uh, in the picture, in the and so if you if you have an ontology behind it, you can enrich it semantically by you know, if there is a you know, German Shepherd a picture annotated with German Shepherd, the ontology knows German Shepherds are dogs. You can use it. Um, uh, you, uh, you know, enrich the enrich the search. That is a very stupid use of an ontology. In this case, you don't even need any agreement or, or controlled control vocabulary. But as an example of the use of an ontology, where the end user would never know that there is an ontology, mm -hmm. it's just the you know the end user is just happy to see a cute dog, uh, whether okay. there, there was labeled dog or German Shepherd, didn't care, right? So mm -hmm. I think usually ontologies. Are not displayed to the uh, to the end user. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we are already forty-two minutes on our way. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so forty-two is a good time. Forty-two minutes is forty-two is a time. great number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Thank you very much, Fabian, for being with us, answering our questions uh, without, without no, even knowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim, um, what can we expect for the next weeks? Uh, we have a, an, an episode scheduled for May 25th, if I remember it correctly. Um, uh, there's no title yet, uh, but we will publish it soon. And we already know the guests, and we all will also publish that soon. And maybe we have an episode before that. Um, so we have to figure out if we get a guest and a date. Um, yeah, so that's the plans for the next four weeks. All right. So don't forget to subscribe to the channel so you would not uh, would not miss another episode. And um, so, like always, we just can say, trust us. We are systems engineers. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>